Warning, it's the middle of winter and it's cold outside, so put on a jacket if you're going out, if you live somewhere that is cold, like in the north. And if you live in Australia and December is one of your hottest months of the year, please do not put on a jacket. You're going to get too hot. Yeah, we want people to be the right temperature to not get sick and to be comfortable. The other thing I want to say about Australia is that these reverse seasons, it's weird. It's weird to think about. Like my Australian friends, like they've never mentioned always having it be hot at Christmas time. I've never really thought of that before today. I just it looked looks, at Melbourne's weather. It's very warm. You guys need to make some cultural Christmas movies to put out there. Yeah, with your like cute accents, Australian, and they're having a hot Christmas. And they're sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's another sweaty Christmas in Australia. <laughs> You know, I just imagine that's how it is down there. I don't know. They don't talk about it. This has been the warning segment of the show, and now we're going to be moving on to... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I almost forgot. And if you're in Costa Rica right now, congratulations. Rainy season just ended last month, and five months of dry season coming up. So that's fantastic. Enjoy. Make sure to put on that bug spray, though. Obviously, there's less bugs now than in rainy season. But yeah, that's true. I think, so. well, at least mosquitoes. Mosquitoes that thrive make, in them. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm not sure about bugs in general. I'm sure there's usually bugs around. I shouldn't flex my knowledge on stuff I don't know about. It's more like flexing ignorance, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know more than me, so you're a relative expert. I'm sure there's someone who's a relative expert in comparison to me, and there's someone who's even more of an expert to them, and it's just like a cascading scale of embarrassment. Where Aaron is the most embarrassing, and I'm the second most embarrassing. I have to object because I'm not embarrassing at all because I didn't claim to have any knowledge except for that rainy season just ended, which Google just told me. Well, let this warning be a warning to us all. Be more like Aaron. Well, not necessarily. I mean, we don't not want... in all things, but just in this thing. Well, not even necessarily. Well. well, I did bring more knowledge that's definitely true. The well, mosquito I'm... wet. Probably true, at least as far as I'm concerned. I don't. Oh, it might, I don't know if it's. Yeah, it's true. It might true. be the descent right from rainy season when it gets worse because the water's stagnant. Who knows? Not you. That seems that seems <laughs> possible. <laughs> oh, I did. I, I did a good shot. You know, it's we shouldn't punish people for these things. What to think? It's my brain, and I decide what to think. Sometimes it's hard Cause how do you know what to think Before you thought it Luckily we have Sean and Aaron with all of the newest news And opinions about it That I can adopt as my Welcome to the show, everyone. This is a Seriously Wrong podcast, What to Think, special edition. My name's Sean. I co-host the show with Aaron. That's me. Let's just get into the news, some of the most pressing issues of our time. According to the Washington Post, if spiders work together, they could eat all humans in one year. Yeah, well, it's good they have notoriously bad working together skills. Yeah, no, spiders, not a well-coordinated bunch. When's the last time they built anything? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, besides a web, but they do those by themselves. This is based on like the idea that they calculated like the weight of the amount of food that spiders eat in a year around the world. And then how much edible human meat there is on the planet. Yeah, and so every year they eat more weight than there is human weight on Earth. So then they make the headline, 
spiders could eat all of us in one year. But like over the course of a year, that's a long time. If spiders were making their way through me over the course of a year, you try and do something to stop it. Yeah, I wouldn't just <laughs> I just wouldn't sit and take that, I don't think. Yeah, unless they went straight for the eyes and into the brain first. Because <laughs> what be was good. it? You That'd figured, be a smart move for them. You figured this out before the show is if they attacked with an equal number of spiders per person, it was how many spiders? Oh, it's like thousands of spiders. It was a few thousand person. something, right? And that doesn't pay attention to the different types of spiders. Like there's some spiders I know I could take. There's some spiders I'm a little more afraid to handle a thousand of them at once. Yeah, well, that that'd be the biggest worry. I think even if they attacked, you know, the thousand closest spiders to you attacked you all at once that would be pretty scary and it's like if they're eating through everyone over the course of a year do they all focus on one person at a time and just like move from person to person even if they just started in one country clear that country out and it's and like then all on. the spiders from around the world like swarmed on that one country there was a well-coordinated effort yeah they'd have to prep and all move there first like <laughs> a few going on planes like hide themselves yeah Maybe it's a logistical they... nightmare really to think about coordinating that many spiders at once maybe they should stick to their own continents and then well that creates a situation where people living in certain continents are really fucked right away because they've got the deadliest spiders the biggest spiders yeah the spiders that eat the most flesh but if you add up all the spiders divide by the type of spider and then redistribute around the world so everyone is tackling a cross-section of a couple thousand different types of spiders and then if they were well coordinated they could have the deadliest spiders attack first when we least suspect all at once like that would be something to worry about for sure what if they crawled down your throat and then started chewing through the inside of your esophagus well that's a that's a pleasant thought (laughs) and i'd like to dwell on it (laughs) that's what i would do the only way that i could see this happening really is if there was some sort of like i I sort of look down on the intelligence of spiders so yeah i don't think they could pull it off. maybe if there was some sort of network of you know, spider controlling rays set up by um, a human. Yeah, a- aliens. Yeah, aliens, maybe yeah. aliens. Yeah, I'm going to put this one on the back burner for not worried about. I'm going to stay extremely worried about it and think about it every day. We can sort of do a social experiment where like one of us is obsessed with that and never stops thinking about it and is convinced it's going to become true. And the other one of us is convinced that it's not. <laughs> and then we'll just see how our lives go. Because I suspect yeah, being afraid science. of that is, is, is good for your life. It's good for your <laughs> really? you relationship, you your good? career. Yeah, it's good. I think it would be bad myself. So I'm glad to be in the test group I'm in. And I'm glad you're in the test group you're in. Absolutely. No, right? I, I feel confident I made the right choice on this one. Check back in in 100 episodes and we'll have the answer for who was right. I've got a news story for you. It's from The Intercept. The headline is Shell Oil Executive Boasts That His Company Influenced the Paris Agreement. Oh, that's great. The Shell Oil Company is committed to combating catastrophic climate change and speeding up the pace at which we phase out fossil fuels. So we have a chance at not just saving ourselves, but saving our children and not even our own children, but just other children around because, you know, you have to protect children. It's our responsibility. It's an executive. Actually, no, that would be something to boast about. But what this executive did is a little bit different. 
the chief climate change advisor for Shell, which is the world's ninth largest producer of greenhouse gas emissions, uh, David Hone, made candid comments at the International Climate Change Conference COP24 last Friday about just how much a hand his company had in writing the Paris Agreement. Quote, we can take some credit for the fact that Article 6 is even in there at all. We put together a straw proposal. Many of the elements of that straw proposal appear in the Paris Agreement. We put together a straw proposal for the rule book, and we saw some of that appear in the text. Article 6, the provision Shell is taking credit for, outlines carbon markets as one of the chief ways that oil companies and other major polluters can rein in their emissions, allowing them to purchase credits for emissions reductions elsewhere instead of just reducing them directly. Jesse Bragg, communications director for Corporate Accountability, says, In some ways, I'm pretty thankful that Shell was so honest about what so many campaigners have been saying for a long time, that the very corporations that created this crisis are at the table and writing the supposed solutions for getting us out of it. They're using the billions of dollars they made destroying the future to argue that they should be given free reign to continue destroying the future in the context of an agreement to not destroy the future. Yeah, as long as they buy those carbon credits, then if they just keep polluting, it's fine. <laughs> if you just show the biosphere, oh no, it's cool, we bought these. We bought the right to do this pollution, it doesn't count. Then the biosphere is like, oh great. It's okay. Ah man, I, you know, these people deserve to be eaten by spiders. <laughs> Ideally, no one would have to be eaten by spiders in the end. Yeah. But the threat of being eaten by spiders See, and now the hanging hero, over them. The hero becomes the villain. Now you're going to be the one with the mind control machine, <laughs> <laughs> thinking you can direct those spiders after the shell executives responsible for this disaster. You if might you, have to if, kill a few of them to show that you're serious. If you don't, well, I'm not, it's a spider, it's not me. <laughs> oh, I thought you were controlling the spiders and that would... Wouldn't that shift moral culpability onto you? Well, I don't. Who knows do they, what the who, spider will, spiders will do once they get organized and realize <laughs> what situation the biosphere is in? You know, that's up to the spiders. And so I can understand how, as someone who's trying to make that short-term profit, you know, try to get that mm. quarterly report looking good, you'd be like, "Well, sure, we'll all be eaten by spiders eventually, starting with people other than me." That's not scary. But if you were like, "The spiders are going to come right for you." The spiders know who you are. How's it going to look on your quarterly reports if the CEO of your company is eaten by spiders? Like, that's not going to be good for the quarterlies. Trust me. Might be hard to find a new CEO if the last couple CEOs got eaten by spiders. Climate justice spiders. They start at the top and eat their way down. You know who's someone who doesn't deserve to be eaten alive by spiders? Mm. is 15-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg from Sweden, who recently addressed the UN Climate Summit in Poland. She said some, some pretty smart stuff for a 15-year-old. For 25 years, countless of people have stood in front of the United Nations climate conferences, asking our nation's leaders to stop the emissions. But clearly, this has not worked since the emissions just continue to rise. So I will not ask them anything. Instead, I will ask the people around the world to realize that our political leaders have failed us because we are facing an existential threat and there is no time to continue down this road of madness. 
So when school started in August this year, I sat myself down on the ground outside the Swedish parliament. I school striked for the climate. Some people say that I should be in school instead. Some people say that I should study to become a climate scientist so that I can solve the climate crisis. But the climate crisis has already been solved. We already have all the facts and solutions. And why should I be studying for a future that soon may be no more, when no one is doing anything to save that future? And what is the point of learning facts when the most important facts clearly means nothing to our society? Furthermore, does no one ever speak about the aspect of equity clearly stated in the Paris Agreement, which is absolutely necessary to make it work on a global scale? That means that rich countries like mine need to get down to zero emissions within six to 12 years with today's emission speed. Because how can we expect countries like India, Colombia or Nigeria to care about the climate crisis if we, who already have everything, don't care even a second about our actual commitments to the Paris Agreement? Today we use 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules, because the rules have to be changed. So we have not come here to beg the world leaders to care for our future. They have ignored us in the past and they will ignore us again. We have come here to let them know that change is coming, whether they like it or not. The people will rise to the challenge. And since our leaders are behaving like children, we will have to take the responsibility they should have taken long ago. Thank you. I was really impressed by this speech. It was pretty sharp, good sort of polemical denunciation of inaction on climate change. Apparently, I was reading in one of the articles about her that she first became interested in climate activism when she was like 11 or 12 or something like that. And she became interested in climate science and the political response to it and saw that the climate science and the political response to it were totally out of whack. And she got like really upset and depressed that she didn't have a future. (laughs) It's amazing how this 12-year-old girl is just like, oh, these two things don't match at all. The scale of this problem and the scale of our response. Yeah, and I, (laughs) I think to even allow yourself to really have that realization is like a real sort of act of courage. Because I think... A lot of people, like myself included to a certain degree, like I had the information to get depressed, but instead I was just like, eh, I was just, eh, don't, don't think about it. I'm just not going to face that. Yeah. But she like faced it. And then she organized uh, protests where kids are going on like a climate strike. And I actually saw here in Vancouver some kids that were um, clearly high school students. They had like handmade signs outside of the subway station. They were chanting, the sea level's rising and so are we. The sea level's rising and so are we. And I was heading to work. And I was like, oh, man, these are some, this is great. I hope these kids can handle the climate crisis because people above the age of 15 are not. I just love it when kids make great speeches. It's so much more powerful when it comes from kids. There's this emotional like oomph to it. Like <laughs> you have your whole life ahead of you. I really I really like that she focuses also on the equality aspect of it and like the uneven emissions. Oh yeah, rich countries like us need to take the initiative. Yeah, and I saw there was another interview with her where she was talking about how like Sweden on paper, it's like a green country, but it's just because they've outsourced all their emissions to other countries. So they like import all this emission causing stuff, but then they can be like, hey, look, we're doing less emissions. And that sort of like internationalist perspective, I think is also really important on climate change. And it's, it's one of the ways that sort of like this 
ineffectual neoliberal market-based response to climate change obscures the fact that we aren't making progress on it because you can be like, hey, look, our emissions are going down. It's like, well, it's because you're importing all this stuff from other countries where emissions are going up. And it's also like her being young too and like and a young woman I think is important because like the climate crisis is going to affect the young the most because they're the people who are going to inherit the world um, and there's the inequality aspect and there's also the gender aspect because it's really well known that one of the best ways to address inequality and one of the best ways to address the climate crisis is through empowering women and girls. I can't remember what the list of suggestions for addressing the climate crisis like it's in the top 10 that when you empower women and girls it helps to push policy in the right direction. So these four things are like pillars. And there's other things that intersect with it too, like democracy and and racial justice. But like, it's all connected. And I think like, seeing her speak about this really like, resonated with me on a deep level, because of just the clear intersections in what she was saying. The solutions to these problems are interdependent. And if we try to address the climate crisis through like a singular sort of like climate vision that doesn't also talk about economic, racial, gender inequality, empowering people through democracy, and also the role specifically of the young in the future, then we're going to have a climate solution that is just doomed to fail. And I've got a real concern that we're going to see, I feel like the far right fascist thing that we've seen over the last couple of years has reached its peak and is, is going downwards. But there's a real risk I think that as long as our climate solutions are market-based, neoliberal, and ineffectual, we're going to be empowering those far-right groups to come back into the spotlight. Like, I think if Richard Spencer had been talking about climate science the whole time, he might still be around because he'd be one of the few voices around talking, like, frankly about that. And I think eco-fascism is something that it's it's not really here that we don't have to grapple with it right now, but it's around the corner. And it's something, it's going to be one of the tools in their toolkit when they want to, like, take public opinion when they want to take power and they want to empower themselves like if you're trying to scare people into tribalistic impulses in order to achieve your political ends the the fact that the world is careening closer and closer to its end it's good for whipping up fear like that is that kind of what you're talking about yeah yeah like you could have sort of that strongman figure who's going to say I alone can stop climate change. You just need to empower me to do it. And it's this one problem that needs to be addressed through strength of leadership. And don't worry about these other problems. And then through that, you can have this resurgence of naked, bold, patriarchal, anti-democratic. Like, this is sort of my nightmare around the corner. And I'm, I, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but I think we really need to emphasize that the solutions to these problems are interdependent. And we need to have a cohesive and and totalizing strategy towards climate change that addresses these sort of like unique intersecting factors. So uh, we're ready in the case that we see that sort of strongman eco-fascist. And as as the effects of climate change affect our lives more and more, it's going to be easier and easier to convince larger and larger groups of people that they should suspend their own freedoms and they should submit to these powerful figures in order to address the problem. And we need to be ready to stop that. We need to have the arguments on hand, we need to have the organizations on hand to stop that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and we need to convince the spiders of that. Can you imagine if the Richard Spencer punching video, instead of him getting punched, he was just like taken out by a swarm Eaten of spiders? Eaten by spiders. <laughs> Executed by spider. Richard Spencer first in <laughs> spider execution spree. 
<laughs> and it's just this video of him talking <laughs> to someone on the street all of a sudden a whole like army of spiders like down his throat <laughs> and then like start eating him from the inside they're going into his ear eating inside his ears his lungs Ooh. oh man just really just keep coming back to that you're welcome everyone <laughs> think a lot about it i feel like we need to go to lighter news maybe we could do with some good news some yeah, heartwarming is there anything positive stories comment on how about this? A 96-year-old man helped save bluebirds in Idaho by building over 300 nest boxes across the state. Isn't that nice? Bluebirds. I think we should save them. I don't know much about them, but... Yeah, I'm in favor of preventing biodiversity loss. But it sucks that... I don't want to be too cynical here. You know, this is supposed to be the good news segment, but mm. a lot of the time good news is like, baby was about to die and then was saved it's like it's not really good news it's more neutral news but it's not um, just a normal not dying it's a escape from death that's a good news i, th- I think that is good news you because know, <laughs> completely good news without that danger element is just like <laughs> man and woman have great first date see real potential there <laughs> yeah yeah just good news is good news That's but true. like nobody cares yeah and i mean the, i kind of care but i don't i don't know them and there's lots of helping going on like people are helping each other all the time there's all this invisible good news this slow background murmur of just people helping each other all the time or like this story stranger returns lost wallet and adds extra cash so that gets a bit above neutral, doesn't it? The adding the extra cash. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> because if you great. just lost your wallet and you got it back, that's neutral. But you got it back with some extra cash. <laughs> that's good news. It's really good news. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, there's $60 in cash they added. Why did they add the cash? Uh, oh, here, here's a note. Found this on a flight, blah, blah, blah. Looks like you could use some extra cash. I rounded your cash up to an even hundred so you could celebrate getting your wallet back. Have fun. So they could celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a really nice gesture. That's great. Yeah, and I bet you, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. Not that specific thing, because that's really weird. But (laughs) In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, Yeah, good, weird, good, weird. A little bit of good news is Luxembourg is making public transportation free for everyone in the country. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. They should do that here. They should do that everywhere. I mean, that's it makes so much sense, like make public transportation more appealing for people. And it's a great thing because the intersection between helping people in their everyday lives and preventing apocalypse we need more policy solutions that, that hit both, both those right. notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, note number one, help people who need help. Note number two, don't all burn alive. And anytime you can hit both those notes at once, that's that's good news. And I like that story because that's more of a like, and that's a positive policy change that affects a lot of people's lives. You know, all the ones I've been mentioning are just affect one person's life, which like they do that a lot. Like they'll just report on... These yeah. little incidents that yeah. you know it's great like mom saves boy being chased by an angry turkey <laughs> it's a heartwarming holiday story yeah santa gets on knee to thank world war ii veteran great sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess it's a real story here on this this good news site. you ever google good news and check out all the good news sites here's one more bit of good news it's not a little individual thing news Millions of Brits plan to volunteer this Christmas. The Royal Voluntary Service found that nearly one in five, 17% of adults in Britain, plan to volunteer some time this Christmas period. 
74% of them are going to donate three hours of their time to help others. That's uh, that's nice. That's a lot. One in five people. I've never volunteered. Yeah, that, that is nice. And that, that's just like the tip of the iceberg of, of all the help that people are giving each other. Today's episode is brought to you by Teaming Up With Whales. Human beings are the whales of the land. In fact, actually, every time I'm eating fish, I think, oh, yum, I'm like my whale brothers and sisters out there. We're the same in that way, and that's why we're teaming up. We make a great pair. Like cats and dogs. Or sea cats and land cats. Top of the food chain on land, humans. Top of the food chain in the ocean, whales. Or sometimes sharks, but we're not teaming up with no sharks because they're fish. Yeah, fuck off, sharks. You're not a real whale. You can't trust a shark. You can trust someone who's a mammal like you, like a whale. Teaming up with whales because it's going to help us achieve our ends. Proud sponsor of Today Seriously Wrong. Do you want to go back to some bad news again? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, so let's we've get, established, you know, the world is a good place. People are defined by acts of charity. Yeah. Uh, they, that, that old man saved the bluebirds and uh, Santa Claus honored a veteran. Let's get to the real shit. Well, actually, this next story that I have, some people have been thinking that it's bad news, but some people have been thinking that it's really good news. George Bush died. The first George Bush, George Bush the Elder. H-dubs. And yeah, it's been a big hoopla about it just like news articles and yeah, ceremonies like and fawning like, you know, know this so, great man wonderful passed away at an old age from natural who, causes so like i don't get any of that because as we'll get into in a minute he was kind of a monster but i also don't really get being happy about it because justice wasn't served none of his crimes are being made up for in any way he just died of old age March yeah, there's of time. Like, it's just this feeble, decrepit old. <laughs> yeah, the stance that I sort of take on the deaths of people that I have sh- political critiques of, sort of putting it lightly, because I think, like you said, his legacy is pretty monstrous. I feel like it's cruel enough to be indifferent to someone's death. Like I don't need to celebrate it. So this is some real neutral news. Like his legacy is really bad news, but yeah. his death itself is some real just neutral news. Yeah, well, <laughs> for my life it doesn't really make a difference whether or not he is dead or whether or not he's an impotent old shaking yeah, yeah, man whether in a or wheelchair. Not the husk of the person who made all of those decisions is still taking in breath pumping blood through their body that is no longer really instrumental in anything that's going on in the world. Yeah, it's pretty neutral to me. But then also, I get why people really, really hate this guy. Oh, yeah. And and why, like, in an environment where we are so starved of good news, things that we can really celebrate that make a big difference in people's lives happen so infrequently that if I really, really had hate for this guy. And I, I think it's totally valid to have that hate. If you look at some of the stuff that he's responsible for, I get celebrating it. I, 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 I lean towards indifference, but... Yeah, I, get, I understand it intellectually, but I don't feel it. And so it's a bit like, it's always a bit odd to me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I also don't hate him. Like, I hate his policies. I hate the effects of his actions. But I don't, I like, just as a f- felt feeling, like, when I think about him, I don't, like, feel hate. I'm just like, I don't know if anything, it's tragic. I think I his could, whole life is a tragedy. I could get there. I could probably, if I meditated on it, I could bring myself to hate him. 
Yeah, there's a lot of things. Let's let's talk about what what's this guy responsible for? Why do people hate him? Yeah, what's yeah, the here, what's I the legacy of George H. W. Bush? Yeah, this is a list and words written by Nathan J. Robinson of Current Affairs, who was on our last episode. Great guy. So here's some things. He imprisoned Haitian refugees at Guantanamo Bay when, in 1991, the democratically elected president of Haiti was overthrown in a military coup. Refugees fleeing disappearances, torture, rape, and massacres attempted to seek asylum in the United States. The Bush administration first attempted to violate international law and simply send them back. But after protests and a legal battle, instead, Bush ordered the refugees captured and imprisoned at Guantanamo, which eventually held over 10,000 of them. Bush officials officially deemed only a small number of these people to be bona fide refugees and then eventually sent them back to Haiti to face their fate. Oh, that's some ethically reprehensible policy there, George H.W. Bush. Maybe uh, just like slowly slide like the party hat closer to me on the table. Like, go on, Aaron, and just <laughs> just move these streamers and this cake and all this stuff. Just slightly. A kazoo. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the next one on that list? Uh, he sent a black teenager to prison for nearly a decade for a PR stunt. As historian Joshua Clark Davis explains in 1989, uh, for his first address from the Oval Office, Bush wanted to draw attention to the scourge of crack cocaine by displaying on live television a bag of crack that had been bought near the White House. But there wasn't any crack being sold near the White House, so the DEA had to go to considerable lengths to lure a poor black teenager who didn't even know where the White House was to the White House to sell them some crack. Uh, the teenager high school senior Keith Jackson was then sentenced to 10 years without parole, and Bush got his bag of cocaine, which he used to call for more cops and more prisons. Oh, yeah. This, um, that's just, that's epic. Like, yeah, that's really <laughs> bad. That's really, I'm starting. Yeah, the hate, like, I, maybe I am feeling a little felt. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to come in all like, oh, no hate, you know, like we need love and blah, blah, blah. But like, not even love, but indifference or like we need to. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, <laughs> we need to abolish the role of George W. Bush and not the person, but I don't know. Here's another. He oversaw war I don't war even need to hear anymore. I'm putting up the streamers. I'm, I do I'm... have more. He oversaw war crimes <laughs> that killed hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Uh, the Gulf War, just as the 2003 Iraq War, was sold to the public based on lies. Then, in the conduct of the war itself, the U.S. was responsible for two major atrocities. First, it killed 400 civilians in an attack on a Baghdad air raid shelter. Uh, women and children were burned beyond recognition. Then, it trapped and ferociously bombed retreating Iraqi soldiers on the so-called Highway of Death, named so because of the endless charred vehicles and corpses that were left along the roadside after the U.S. attack. The Bush administration committed numerous acts of terrorism in Iraq by intentionally targeting civilian infrastructure. This is a quote from the Washington Post at the time. Some targets, especially late in war, were bombed primarily to create post-war leverage over Iraq, not to influence the course of the conflict itself. Planners now say that their intent was to destroy or damage valuable facilities that Baghdad could not repair without foreign assistance. Attacking immobilized retreating soldiers, air raid shelters, and electricity generating and water treatment facilities so that later they could 
have leverage over them. Like, you know, our companies can come in and fix this stuff for you. We'll make a deal. So you're saying that he charred women and children beyond recognition so they'd be able to extort political concessions in exchange for money. In exchange for imperialism. Like. Yeah, yeah, sorry. In exchange for American... America gives the money in exchange for the political concessions, I mean. Yeah. And then the companies make profit off of that. Yeah. That's some ethically monstrous shit, Aaron. Was this covered in the state funeral? Oh, man. It should have been. Like, obviously not, but it just that idea captured my imagination. Because, I mean, like, I'm not saying everyone should have their faults listed at their funerals. Like, nobody wants that. But when your faults are this, like, this is bigger than, like, he robbed a convenience store one time. Yeah, or forgot someone's <laughs> birthday. Yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely not that. <laughs> That's petty. But this isn't petty. Yeah, and then so, oh, man, the shit about people like, oh, you know... Bush Sr.'s dying, you know, why couldn't we have someone like Bush Sr. instead of Trump? It's like, what incredibly naive and disgusting. Yeah, this next one actually goes right to that. It starts by saying, it's very strange to read tributes to Bush's honor and decency, considering that his presidential campaign became legendary for how cheap, dishonorable, and sleazy it was. Bush hired infamous Republican strategist Lee Atwater, who is known for doing whatever it took to win without regard for truth or morality. That's exactly what he did for Bush with rumors about Dukakis's mental health mysteriously surfacing and the infamous Willie Horton commercial that tried to convince Americans that the Dukakis presidency would mean large, scary black men roaming the streets and committing sex crimes. The ad was so bad that even Roger Stone called it racist. The Bush campaign was conducted so appallingly that on his deathbed, Atwater would apologize for its, quote, naked cruelty. So that's the, you know, the honorable man that we all, you know, we wish we had now. Yeah, we should bring someone back who's better on racism, better on the migrant crisis. He believed America should be allowed to negligently commit mass killings without displaying even a hint of contrition. In 1988, U.S. shot down an Iranian passenger jet, killing 290 people. Discussing the incident at a campaign stop, George H.W. Bush said, I will never apologize for the United States. I don't care what the facts are. I'm not an apologize for America kind of guy. In this case, the facts were that the U.S. was well aware that the airliner might be carrying civilians, but destroyed it anyway, causing hundreds of people to die in the most horrible manner imaginable. He serially groped women. Bush was accused of inappropriate touching by eight women and was known to cop a feel when taking photos with women, sometimes also telling an inappropriately dirty joke at the time. When the accusations first surfaced, the Bush family had the audacity to have a spokesman suggest that the women were misinterpreting an innocent act caused by Bush's disability. That turned out to be nonsense since the accusations, there were accusations dating back to 1992. One woman reported being groped when she was... 16 years old. There's so much else to mention. Bush launched a needless military invasion of Panama. He ignored AIDS and blamed its victims, suggesting they changed their behavior as tens of thousands of people died horribly. He put the architecture of NAFTA into place, an agreement that would damage Mexican agriculture and put Americans out of work, paving the way for the rise of Trump. He fought against basic minimum wage increases. He oversaw bloody CIA cooperation with ruthless Latin American military juntas. 
Can you say that word? Shintas. He helped bury the facts about the Iran-Contra scandal. He replaced Thurgood Marshall, one of the giants of the civil rights movement and the greatest of all Supreme Court justices with the cruel and callous sexual harasser Clarence Thomas, a cynical move based on the theory that African-Americans would be wary of opposing a black nominee. So that's uh, George Bush Sr., don't usually say this, but do you want to throw a quick party for his death right now? Here, come on, no, take the hat. You know, I Here, here's I wouldn't plan a party like this, but since you're offering the hat, like I'll wear it. I'm not going to poo-poo this whole thing. What's it called? The thing that you blow through? I said kazoo earlier, but it's something else. Like the thing that like unravels and it's like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's just called the party horn. What the fuck? Yeah, it well, bust out the party horns because <laughs> we're gonna have a party for George Bush's death. Ray, Ray, George H. W. George Bush Bush's died dead. at a ripe old age, having done all he could do in his life. I'll well, take hey, at it. least at least Haitians it. will never be turned back at the border to a violent military dictatorship. By him, by again. his hand, yeah, yeah, it'll still yeah. happen. Might, you yeah. know, like quite possible. But I mean, he won't do it again. He won't do it again. So that's a reason to celebrate, I guess. Yeah, I'll take it. If this is the closest thing we have to a reason to celebrate, I'll take it. Yeah. Do you want to slice celebrations the cake? is important? Yes, please. I love cake, and uh, oh, it's ice cream. I've drawn on the top of the cake there a gravestone. And it says on the it's gravestone, spooky. it says that specific one war criminal. Oh, yeah. And that reminds me of how he'll never commit another war crime. Won't Perfect. do much to, you know, prevent any of the current war crimes in progress or future ones. Because, you know, he was always doomed to die, as we all are. So it's good that he won't do it again. Although that was kind of already off the table since he served his presidency. Realistically, he had committed his last war crime at his time of death. Like he didn't. Yeah. If he, I mean, technically, he was only a one-term president, so he could have technically become president again legally, but it wasn't feasible. All right. Well. Um, well, that was a great party. Yeah, really fun. Lots and lots of fun. Lots and lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, do you know what George H.W. Bush's last tweet was? No. He was congratulating a Republican for confirming a rapist to the Supreme Court. Is that true? That's real? That's the last tweet. Well, okay. Maybe there, that's an ongoing benefit. <laughs> no one's going to have to read his fucking tweets anymore. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> tweets are over. To celebrate. Yeah, the tweets yeah, are over. The tweets are over. And he'll never grope another woman. I think that was also going on until fairly recently. So those are some real reasons to celebrate. Yeah, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like this party is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, this party no longer feels like a startling, <laughs> startlingly sad expression uh, of our political impotence. Hooray! Hooray! I feel like it would be an even better celebration if all of the world's governments this time next year had reduced their carbon emissions by 30% in one year. That would make me celebrate. Yeah, that'd be, that just, that brought a smile to my face to imagine. (laughs) Yeah, you lit up. I lit up. That would be so great. I'd be so proud. And it would 
reduce the chances that we all burn alive in our homes and are tortured by scarcity, which that's, that's yeah, pretty good as well. Yeah, if we kept it up, not even at that rate, but at a much slower rate after that, we'd be in the clear. I would, I would be over the moon if like one place set a legitimately aggressive target. <laughs> by this time next year. Yeah, yeah just, right. <laughs> by this time next year, one specific country reduced it by 30% has a plan to be carbon neutral in three years. One in the top 25 carbon polluting. Sure. That would yeah, set me yeah. over the moon, honestly. Well, if that's over the moon, then mine must be like over... Yeah, my face know. literally lit up and we're playing a weird <laughs> little game. I, I, I felt that one. I would really, really celebrate if there was an effort taken by a, sort of a consortium of powerful groups to relieve the worst effects of poverty on Earth within a short time frame. You know, like people's experience of poverty that is absolutely the most damaging was dealt with in a short time frame with, say, like a period of 10, 15 years to just yeah, get rid of all poverty. if all the billionaires in the world wanted to convince us that they were really actually good people, so they decided that they were all going to give up, they were all going to keep 100 mil, and they're going to give up the rest of their money, just all of those billions, and put it into a fund that is just like build houses for homeless people, get food into hungry people's mouths, build infrastructure in poor countries, set people up, help make this world a vibrant yeah, place. I, I'd be really happy to see the, all the big shot billionaires campaigning together and lobbying together to institute like a maximum wage where it's not just them, the, the charitable ones, but like all like just you have a max or a maximum right, wealth. Structurally. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Structurally, you can't have more than a certain amount. Um, and you said a, you said a hundred mil. I, I'd be happy with that, at least as a starting point. But I just imagine like, you know, I know what the clapback would be like, you know, preserving capitalism. It's not good enough. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, this isn't a plan to end capitalism. This is a suggestion for a pragmatic reform that we can put through right now that mm-hmm. would have real effects on people's lives. Like, I think that's a good thing. Like, yeah, we can talk high in the sky all day, forward. but we, we need to get pragmatic and pointed and say a maximum wealth of 100 million total assets this is this is something you can do in five years we can talk in the long term about the abolition of capitalism anyone who wouldn't be happy to have that policy passed because it's not good enough isn't is uh um what's a word that's not problematic sourpuss it's a sourpuss is a weirdo sourpuss is great i love that that's a classic utope that's like utope original you know that's like a real nice step a non-insignificant step you know it would be another utope another reason that i would want to celebrate if every country but you know probably starting with the united states because they have the biggest problem with this just kind of combed through their prison population and said first they look at each person and determine how likely they are to be a danger to the public and people who aren't a danger to the public get out of jail tomorrow then they make it illegal to put anyone who's not a danger to the public in jail. Then we close a bunch of the jails because a lot of them are empty. Then we take the ones that are still there and we turn them into places that might help the people who are in them become not a danger to the public so that we can let them out. That's the goal. These are places you go to because we're trying to help you no longer be a danger to the public so we can let you out that I, you know i would throw a real party like uh, uh, a thrasher <laughs> for that you know i would really like to celebrate if um all countries came together and they said this war stuff is hell 
and we're going to stop doing it forever. We're going to sign some treaties to end war. We're going to make war illegal. Because all, all war is really a war crime. It's a yeah, crime against decency. A crime. It's a war yeah. against humanity. All wars are wars against humanity, except for those metaphorical wars on cancer. War on cancer is cool. As long as you don't mean like killing cancer patients or something. <laughs> Which they didn't. That's not what it ever meant. We could just figure out a different way to like settle disputes on the international scale. Yeah, there's definitely other options. Like badminton tournaments or whatever. Like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Definitely a good first. We're not going to end on badminton tournaments. That's just the start of a, a process of brainstorming. I but thought chess. Like, I thought chess. It wasn't. It's equally just, you know, not perfect. My, yours is good because it has the strategy element. Mine's good because it has a physical element. You know, we'll we'll work on combining this. But what if just the best, <laughs> the country that wins is just like really good at chess but bad at ethics? Then, like the whole problem of war is maintained. Well, not the whole problem, but a large part of the problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. But way fewer people die in chess. Baby steps. Oh, I would love if all of the resources that we put into war and aggression around the world, you know, we're talking the biggest part of a lot of budgets, you know, a place that you can just, at any time, it's easy and expedient to increase military budgets. It's just like not even something you debate anymore. <laughs> so you can go into debt for it. You just always spend more money on war every time and it just keeps on going up. Take all that resource and instead turn what was the military into a library system, a global library system that it's like a lending library for not just books, but also the things that you need in your life. And we sort of slowly phase out using the apparatus, the existing apparatus of the military, which is reform to no longer commit war and instead commit librarism. Yeah, it's... Uh, librarism. When you think about how much economies around the world spend on their militaries it is just this like pot of treasure that's being squandered every year and if you just you could just take that treasure and use it for something good imagine all the good things that could be done in this organization we could use it to sort of phase out private property and replace it with a global library socialism that distributes according to need i would celebrate that yeah, even like as a parallel structure, like you can keep capitalism going, but just create these libraries that give things away for free and we'll see they'll compete with each other. Yeah, yeah. The market is absolutely welcome to compete with the system that we've set up that gives you, you know, it's like that loans what if the you government for free takes more than half the U.S. budget goes to their military, right? So like... <laughs> More than half the budget is going to lending you a couch for as long as you need it, repairing it if it breaks, and if you want to get rid of it, taking it back. Making sure everybody has food, making sure everybody has a place to stay, making sure that everybody has training, school, whatever they feel motivated to learn about. It's just committed to making people better. Yeah, that would be an organization worth spending more than half of the government budget on. You know, that's a beautiful idea, but if we hold out for that kind of thing to, uh, to have a party... Not going to be doing a lot of partying. Yeah, that's true. And if we abolish all the militaries, then what about if aliens come? I mean, do put flowers in their <laughs> laser beams? Yes. <laughs> put, put, put flowers in the laser beams. What if cool. an alien race comes that's like, you know, equally matched with us approximately, except they've figured out space travel and we need to fight them? Because, you know, like chances are they'd be way more stronger than us and they would just annihilate. Like if they've achieved space travel and they choose to attack us, probably we wouldn't be able to beat them anyway. But on the off chance we could, 
we should keep fighting each other uh, to keep stay sharp. You know, their military is more advanced, their space travel is more advanced, but our peace is more advanced. Oh, so you that know? does give us power. Yeah, so they, they come to our planet and they come flower to invade, power. and we've got the flower power to stand up to them. We put the flowers in their laser beams. They're like, hey, we figured out space travel, and we're like, oh, guess what we figured out? Not murdering each other in giant waves of state-sanctioned murder patrols called war. That's a and fascinating like, idea. We do that all the time back on home planet. We were about to do that here. Maybe you guys we figured sh- out how to not do that. We should do a treaty together and do a technology trade. We'll give you space travel and you teach us your way of peace. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm on board for that. If that works, I love that. That's plan A. Yeah, or we could have like a small stockpile of nuclear weapons that is permanently aimed away from Earth. Yeah, well, we're probably going to need nuclear weapons anyway if we want to be certain that we aren't hit by large asteroids, comets. We could potentially avert the end of the world eventually with a nuclear bomb. I heard some you know, popular science or something talking about this recently. So yeah, we'll have our asteroid meteorite defense system, which can double as a last-ditch attempt at surviving a violent alien invasion. But, you know, I think you think we don't need to worry about that too much. We have to worry about the asteroids, the aliens. I think to weigh those two things on a scale when one's an unknown quantity that, as far as we know, throughout history has never been a problem versus this thing that's been a huge problem throughout history forever, <laughs> one of them should take precedence. So you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be prioritizing that in the thoughts of ending war. But in the case that we are invaded, we could set up a very, very special ecological 15-year-old with a switch that allows her to control the minds of all the spiders on Earth. Love it. It's the last-ditch attempt to protect humanity against hostile invaders. We'll embed the power to control all the spiders in one very special 15-year-old girl. (laughs) This is how we fix climate change, too. I feel like 15-year-old girls, like obviously this one, uh, what's her name, Greta? Greta, if she had controls of all the spiders, would fix this problem immediately. Yeah, I think when you run into a kid like this, you put them in charge of climate transition and give them unlimited resources. Yeah. That's that's my bias. Is it time for our sponsor? Yep. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by a relaxing ASMR tape. Uh, now we've been told by the producers of the tape we're allowed to play part of it on the show, but not the whole thing. I've listened to the whole thing. I love the whole thing. It's a beautiful meditation. It really gets your tingles on. So I'll just uh, roll up this tape player here. And I love that it's on a tape, too. Tapes, I just love the sound quality they have. It's not like digital. Really, it brings me back to pop open the tape, and that's the experience you'll have. Uh, just into the tape player here, and press play. Welcome to the Wrong Down ASMR tape series. Tape number one, oil executive being eaten alive by thousands of spiders. The spiders begin at your feet and you feel them crawling and biting, crawling and biting up your toes and your feet to your ankles. It's already incredibly painful. You thought there would be no consequences for your crimes against the children. But unfortunately for you, justice is being served. Justice is these spiders crawling up your shins and 
And we'll pop out the tape there, an exciting and fun relaxation tape. If you want to hear the full genital sequence, which lasts over seven minutes, you're going to have to buy the whole tape. But if you think that's the most painful part, wait until you hear about the spiders being breathed into their lungs and continuing to eat them alive from the inside. Buy this relaxation tape for your 15-year-old daughter this Christmas. Well, this has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. And uh, uh, that's what to think. Those things we just said, that's what you should think. What to think. We got to the top of the signaling pile, so you don't have to. Yeah, and um, this show relies on donations, and we run a Patreon. So patreon.com slash seriouslywrong is how we function under capitalism. And if you can give us $6 a month, we'll give you access to a bunch of bonus episodes, Facebook group, a Discord server... And uh, you'll have our eternal gratitude. We really, really appreciate it and rely on it. It's how we're able to, to do the show the way we do. And thank you to everyone who's already doing that. You're, you're making a really big difference in our capacity to keep going forward with the show and, and doing what we love to do. So uh, I guess all that's left to say is on behalf of all the 15-year-old girls around the world, fuck you, George H.W. Bush. What the thing? Sometimes it's hard Cause how do you know what to think Before you thought it Luckily we have Sean and Aaron with all of the newest news And opinions about it That I can adopt as my own Next time on Seriously Wrong, we go to Australia at Christmas time, where it's warm instead of cold. Oh man, you sweat all over my Christmas present. Tis the season, as they say. Tis the sweaty season. Mom, can you turn on the air conditioner? Jeff's sweating all over my presents. Now, Billy, you know we can't afford the air conditioner and presents this year. And we chose presents, so it's going to be a hot, hot Christmas. Oh, Mom, you suck. Mom, now boys, don't talk to your mother that way. Now, why don't you come out here and show your grandmother your beautiful Christmas shorts? Dad, they're ugly. Can't we have Christmas pants? No, that just, that makes no Absolutely sense. Absolutely ridiculous. You're gonna you can't be have sweating. Christmas pants. You're going to be sweating everywhere. It's the hottest time of the year. Now put on your bathing suits. We're going to the ocean. We're going to open our presents and go surfing because it's summertime here. Now, boys, you know Christmas isn't summertime. We know, Dad. It's normal for us. Yeah, it's normal, Dad. I don't know why you always say that. Winters during June, July, and August, like it's always been. Dad, a cold Christmas would be horrifying. That's a topsy-turvy nightmare world. I don't want to know what that's like. And that was Christmas in Australia. That's what it's like down there. And thank you to the whales for teaming up with us in bringing that to life. This collaboration proves we can work together and promises great things in the future. You are our cousins of the sea, and we are your land whale brothers and sisters. <laughs>